From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. The podcast is sponsored by City Lights Brewing Company, an award-winning brewery and taproom set in the historic Milwaukee Gas Company buildings right on the banks of the Menominee River. As you know, I'm a home brewer and an investor in another brewery, which gives me a little more insight than the average beer drinker. I was impressed by the quality of the team and, more importantly, their selection of innovative craft beers. You can enjoy a pint in the taproom overlooking the brew house or take in some fresh air in the relaxing beer garden set on the river. They also have a great beer-inspired food menu. Please visit citylightsbrewing.com for more details. Serial entrepreneur has become as big a buzzword as innovation over the past decade. More and more people are self-identifying as serial entrepreneurs. And I heard one recently define that as someone who is still looking for their first success. That sounds to me more like a serial failure. What I'm interested in are people who have taken on a great challenge and found success more than once. This is what I consider to be a serial entrepreneur. And on today's episode, I sit down with Neil Hunter, who embodies my definition and has taught me a lot about the mindset of innovation, from semiconductors to real estate development, and from LED lighting to life sciences. Neil has found the type of success that few people ever achieve once, let alone multiple times. From the lessons he learned growing up, to trading stock options between classes during college, and from his journey founding Cree to his current job at NoBio, we get incredibly unique insights from a man who's made a career upending industries and creating the future. Neil's story reflects the deeper meaning of what this podcast is all about, that innovation is a mindset. And if you can master the mindset of innovation, then you can apply it across industries. I want to note that this episode was recorded at NoBio headquarters in Durham, North Carolina. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. First of all, Neil, welcome and thank you for being on Innovators on Tap. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Chuck. I thought we would start with the first time we met. And I came to a meeting at Hewlett Packard and you and John Edmund were there trying to sell me LEDs. And well, one, it was amazing. It's the first blue LED I'd ever seen. I do remember we had to turn off all the lights. Correct. In a room with no windows to be yeah, able to see called the, the dark emitting diode, right? <laughs> and then after you said, what do you think? I think I said something to the effect of, Hmm. really interesting, but it would have to be about 20 times brighter and one-tenth the cost or something to that effect before we could sell it. And I thought that was the end of our conversation. But uh, apparently, you heard something that day that interests you because within the next month or two, I I got a call from a recruiter. So what were you thinking that day when I gave you that feedback? You were, uh, I think you came by kind of like just to look and see what's going on. And so very shortly, you took over the meeting. And that's what I noticed. So I noticed your energy, your knowledge base, I mean, you were all over the place. You know, of course, you tried to do the HP thing and crush us in terms of dollars and brightness and that sort of thing, but that was pretty typical for the industry. I call it a spark in the eye, you know, when, you, when I look at someone that, that really has the energy. Because I can take someone and tell them, slow down, push them back, whoa, boy, but I can't take someone and pull them with me. If yeah. you're innovating, 
and trying to build a company and you've got 10 people strapped to your back, it's a tough road. Before I end up coming to HP, there's one more story I wanted to bring up because I remember I was sitting there and we were trying to work out if I was going to come join Cree. And I was at the time, for some reason, thinking I might go to business school. And you made a pitch to me and said, you know, Chuck, come to Cree. I'll get you a Cree MBA. And I'm sure most people have never heard that term, but what was the point you were trying to make? That well, day? I went through the same process. So when I was 25 and we were looking at, it was kind of like I was going to go to MBA school. I did three years of real world work and I was looking at doing that and kind of upgrading my career where I was going to go next. And kind of this whole Cree thing came up and I ended up doing the Cree thing. And I learned more in the first month probably than most people do in MBA school. When you were growing up with your brothers up in Boone, there's something about what I found in talking to most people about innovation, how they grew up, those experiences shape kind of who they are and how they think and give them you know, some of the tools that later make them successful. Can, can you give me some insights about how you grew up that maybe gave you a perspective that later helped you be successful, I don't know, four or five times over now with different companies? You don't realize it, Chuck, in the, when, you're, when you're living it. But when, uh, when I look back at growing up, I was given a lot of freedom and my mom hates to hear this always, but, um, she, you know, she wouldn't get home. She was a, my, my father passed away when I was very young. Okay. So I had two brothers and we kind of did things after school and with the neighbors and things like that. And we were leaders in our own ways, but we would do all sorts of things to raise money. My, and so you had that freedom and maybe it was a freedom up until dinner, um, and then a lot of encouragement to get make sure you, you uh, excelled at school. And those things together just kept doors open. And then, then it became a natural thing. So risk-taking was natural to me. Yeah, so um, you used to trade commodities between classes and colleges or something. Do I have that story right now? It was uh, like stock options. So trading stock options when I was a junior and senior in college. Uh, I would go to the library and look at something called Value Line, which was um, – something that I got to later participate in when Cree was in, that was really cool. But um, we would look up companies and their balance sheets and all, all about them and the backgrounds. Just got to know a lot about business in general. And people call it gambling and all these good things. You know, back then, you, if you did research and you took a longer vision, you know, then you could really leverage your money and things might work out. I think the story I want people to hear about is, the, is a lot about the many businesses you've been in. So, Let's just start quickly with the Cree story. So you and your brother decide to start a company, start Cree. What's the original idea? Original idea is um, doing electronic controls wiring. We had two ideas. Um, one that I was involved in personally, uh, working for Johnson Controls. And the other one was what my brother was involved in at NC State. And that was working on silicon carbide as a semiconductor material. And so we wrote a business plan that actually combined those two things, which were just crazy. It's like definitely oil and water. Um, we went out and shopped that and had a couple of meetings and people looked, you know, they were cross out on that stuff. And so they looked back at us and said, you know, we think you should probably pick one and you ought to pick the one that has the $150 million market in five years instead of the one that has 50000 And so we reconverted our business plan to silicon carbide. But we... Uh, you know, I got a second mortgage and there were credit card leveraging involved as well. And I think we raised about 28000 between us. And I quit my job, kind of jumped off the end of the pier and the rest is history. I think the idea that you guys leveraged your personal resources and you kind of jumped in, 
There was no backup plan. My sense is, is that when I look at stories of other people that have been successful, there's something to that, right? If there's a backup plan, it, you're not motivated as much to make it work. Do you think if you would have been better funded or other things, it would have turned out the same way? No. If we had had pure funding from someone, we would have done things differently. You always do things differently. The more funding, generally the worse, generally, depending on what you're doing. But, you know, that struggle, um, you learn so much from that struggle. You then, at some point, build Cree up, make it very, very successful. Uh, the valuation, I believe, was somewhere in the like seven billion at one point. Um, and then you decide, I don't want to be the CEO anymore. And you think you're in your at the point, uh, probably in your late thirties, Neil, somewhere right around that late thirties, early forties. Yeah, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. I, I don't think most people can ever imagine being kind of at the top of the mountain, right? You've got that CEO job, and you decide, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I think it's, you know, it's look at athletes. Some of them retire at the top of their careers. Others are forced out when their bodies don't work anymore. Well, look at me. That was, that was a health decision, really. It was cumulative stress. I'd been through so much that I didn't realize. I, would, I didn't mind being on the board more and being chairman. That was fine. But 13 years into it, I'd probably worked, I don't know. You know, you talk about 60-hour weeks, 50-hour weeks. People that say they worked 80-hour weeks, that's kind of bogus you know when it's when you talk about 168 hours whatever there is in a week it's how much you think about it you can be looking at someone at dinner having a two-hour conversation and they'll look at you and say where are you and you realize that you're thinking about what's the next thing we need to do what's um, yields that we're going to face just everything about the business few people have the success you had at Cree once but you've done something multiple times and I want I, I think it's so important to understand how you did this. So I'm going to kind of go through quickly because then I want to get to what do you think makes you unique to be able to do this. But let's start with Culvert Farms. So you're still at Cree at the time mm-hmm. and you decide, hey, I know I'm running a tech company and I'm really pushing hard, but I'm going to become a developer. Walk us through that. The real reason in the, in the first place was, you know, I'm CEO. I want to live out in the country. Okay. I want to start a family at some point, you know, I kind of tripped or I backed myself into buying 600 acres. That wasn't going to be my house lot, but um, I kept accumulating land in kind of a peninsula area that was very close to a large mall in the uh, research triangle area. And again, people laughed at me. They said I paid too much, you know, all these things you go through, you know, you're not a developer. You haven't done this before. It's the same stuff. And at that point, I just had, I'm not self-guessing anymore. I'm not, I'm sitting there and I'm wondering if I can do this. You just got to go figure it out. And so I got uh, my cousin involved who was a builder. He showed me that, hey, when you take down 10 acres of trees, it's going to look like this or that. I mean, you got to, you have to learn those things, but it's really fun. I mean, to me, it's, it's addictive. The fun that comes with being successful in business uh, you can look at numbers. That's great. Okay, no doubt. It's good to be, to have wealth generated, but it is, it's like an endorphin flow. You know, you can call it a drug, you can call it whatever, but there's nothing like it. There's, I mean, at Cree in 2000, I raised $300 million approximately in 13 days. I actually raised it in four and a half days. So we went out in a roadshow. We priced our deal Thursday night. We started on Monday. That closed, that money was in our bank account the following Monday. We were the first deal, we were the first S3 filed in Y2K, here in the year 2000, because 
our multiples were out of whack. And, you know, I'm a closet economist. So, you know, we had a 350 um, PE. So that was just crazy. All the, all the tech companies were blowing up at that point. So um, luckily, we were one of the ones that did the right thing for shareholders and put away a lot of capital at that time. Because two years after that, so, so at that point, our stock traded up to 200. Uh, two years after that, it was trading for around uh, $9. So you roll forward to real estate. It's fun. It's something to learn. You, you, you master this stuff. You, you see roads built. I mean, it's a smaller, it's the only thing I've done where it has a um, boundary around it. Most, most of my ideas and, and companies that I get involved in are boundless. So you built Cree. You become a successful developer. And then uh, somewhere along the way, you, reti- you, you walk away from Cree and you're going to take a break and you decide to partner up with a couple guys and start LLF. How does this come about? So in 2005, spring of 2005, uh, retired, told myself I was never going to go back into tech. And 90 days later, got contacted by a couple of guys and that worked for Cree in, in the past. These guys are really sharp. One on the just concept of lighting in general. And then Jerry Negley is probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met in terms of just science. Really felt like I want to get involved with these guys. They were looking at kind of bootstrapping something and doing billboard lighting because what they found was if you could make lighting the right color, then your eye perceives it as being brighter. If you did billboard something at night where you needed lower light for illumination and made perfect colors, then you could actually get an effective doubling of brightness. So we took an industry that was 15 years probably waiting. If you looked at the Department of Energy and the, their, their future projections and things they were funding, they were looking at probably 2020 when LED fixtures would actually come in. And that's probably why Cree never really got into it because it got outside their box at that time. And of course, everyone again told us there was everything had already been invented. I told the guys, I said, look, I'm interested in getting involved in this if we go after general illumination. Those guys go back and think about it um, and say, okay, we can start in the billboard business and maybe then roll into something. Four months after I started this, we started this on uh, September 15th, roughly, of 2005. We sold the company to Cree 26, 28 months later for $100 million, roughly. We filed probably 100 patents during that time. And that's just one of the formulas. And I'm getting involved in the company. That's one of the parts of the formulas that I look at. Boundless market, great intellectual opportunity, you know, just opportunity to lay down a lot of intellectual property and technology that no one else has. So then you come back and you're working at Cree again. So uh, now the roles are reversed and technically you supposedly report to me and I always joke around and said, yeah, that's not really how that works. I mean, on a piece of paper, Neil reported to me, but you were basically still my mentor and coaching me along and providing that constructive feedback when I think most organizations I really, I think most organizations, most CEOs are afraid of getting constructive feedback. And because of our relationship, it kept happening. And I, I tell people for, for many years, I probably don't last in that job as long if there's not someone who can walk into my office and just say, I just disagree with you, or you're missing this, or you need to go do this. And uh, it was a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, you did a great job, Chuck. And I've told you this before, no CEOs are going to let, you know, former CEOs come in and sit around the management team table and actually still provide commentary, as we call constructive conflict. That was something that you were able to do. And I think it helped Cree a lot at the time. And it helped me um, transition back into the company, uh, do a lot of things. And, and it also kept me current, in what Cree was doing 
and to be able to provide ongoing in, innovation, ideas, just, you know, network, everything. So you guys go off, make the Creality bulb, change the bulb business completely. And again, another home run, another success. And then you go off and you switch industries again and you go start building Novan. So tell us about Novan. Uh, there was an opportunity that came across my desk for a company working in the area of nitric oxide. And that's been, that's something your body creates naturally. It's been around for a long time. As far as the knowledge of that, it's been around, it's been around at 20 years. But if you put nitric oxide in, a, in the right scaffold and the right chemical formula and the right formulation, you can make um, lotions that can go on and kill acne and molluscum and all these different things. You can put it inside the body. You make a nebulized formula that can go in. In our case right now, we're working on something that would eliminate infection for cystic fibrosis. Um, it can, it essentially can impact every major d- disease on the, on the billboard today. So it's, it's an amazing technology. And I, I looked at that and I remember my original notes said this could replace antibiotics. You get Novan started and you get Novan to a certain point where it's ready to go public and it's really focused on dermatology. And then Novan spins out NoBio and you decide to go with the future reaching technology. Is that right? That's right. So we had gone to the point where Novan had a, a view on going public. And so at that point, I'm like, all right, I'm, I usually work better. I don't necessarily work better in public or private companies, but I'm going to work better in the emerging company. And it's more interesting to me because, frankly, what we did was spin out um, NoBio from the Novan company. But that was only because we we um, had to structure that way. It really was, um, <laughs> NoBio was really the company. And if we would just had an LLC or an Inc. on one of them or an LLC on one of them, it would have been a true spin out of Novan. And so, you know, we have roughly 10 different indications that we're going after in NoBio. And those are like cancer and cardio and respiratory infections um, and on and on. So rejuvenation of, of the way that you look, aesthetics, you know, rejuvenation of the way that your brain works, possibly um, um, what your memory can do. Just all, all the major, again, all the major indications that we are fighting as people every day. You know, you've done this. So Cree, Culvert Farms, LLF, coming back to Cree and running the bulb business, building that into something. No van, no bio. I mean, that's five or six successes. Most people are lucky to, if they ever get close to one. I'm very risk tolerant. I don't even think about it. I mean, today you could look at my how I'm exposed financially, where I'm invested, and you'd say, oh my gosh, I would never be there at 57. Whatever. I mean, I came here, I, was, I, I wore hand-me-down clothes. People don't even know what those are. I shared a room with my brother. People don't know how to do that anymore. So those things really, those, those statements are foreign to a lot of people, but those, that was the way I grew up. And so if I had to go back there, I could do that. And I think that's a huge advantage. When you're trying to build a team to do this again, it, are there things that you look for in people that give you a clue? I think these people can do it or not. I mean, early on, you mentioned that you need people that you have to pull back, not push forward. Uh, but is there other things, you know, so, you know, there's people out there trying to figure out how do I do this on their own? How could I build this? What is there something you look for when you say, hey, I think this person's going to be able to help me get there? You know, I did say I'm looking for high energy people because you can take a high energy person who, you know, has a good heart. When I mean that, they're empathetic to some degree. Um, I'm not, you know, ruthless people generally don't make it. Um, they'll make it for a while, maybe in real estate. And there's, there's guys out there that are, that are 
what you call ruthless business people. But, um, you know, I think you have to have team members that are concerned about the entire employee base, about where you're headed, and that's what they're really focused on continually. And if they've got the energy, that spark in their eye, then you can you, you can take that to so many different places in the company. Because you got to realize you're looking for people also that can can and will do many things in any day. I mean, we used to take we used to offload equipment at Cree. We sweep floors if we need to. We do whatever it takes, and we even do that today. You know, if someone's coming in, we need to clean the place up. We're going to do that together as a company. It just uh, we did that at Cree. We did that at so many other companies, and I think that's that's just a trait that you need to have. You've had far more success than almost anyone I know. You've done it multiple times. You're not done. You've got no bio. Now bios now has three different businesses that are going in different directions. What is it that keeps, that, that motivates you to keep going? For for years, people would say, what's your hobby? And I'd go, I don't know. Let me come and figure this out. I like, you know, doing this or that. I don't know. Finally, about four years ago, I stopped apologizing and I said, I love business. I love anything associated with business. Everything, starting businesses, helping people with business, anything associated with it. I'll help people solve things. I'll help them with their contracts. You know, if it, I know my brother-in-law, we talk about it. 20 years ago, I helped him write a contract for his business and he still uses that today and it's helped him tremendously. It's You're called upon continuously and that can wear you out no doubt and it does for me i have to get recharged about every five years it seems like so but it's that constant go 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 charging the hill there are things or attributes that take away you know no doubt your family sacrifices are there your your health sacrifices are there you, you because the business is so interesting to me when you have the right business and we've got the right business right now um, you want to move faster you want to do things right it's just, it is addictive. As you look out, are there characteristics that you think define successful innovators or entrepreneurs that are kind of common? Confidence, and it's not hubris, it's confidence without ego. <laughs> I mean, you have to have the ego, but you know what I mean? It's yeah, not no, It's I, not someone that just blow through everything because they're going to be the, the big guy, the one, number, number one. I think that that's, that's a big thing is, and then of course, um, being risk averse or not being risk averse, you know, where you can, you have a real appetite for risk. That's, that's huge, but you don't really, it's hard to measure until you get in there and do it. Making sure your family's on your team, huge deal. Naturally positive people, but again, not positive to a fault. You've got to understand what you're getting into. So it's some of that, you know, some of that's just experience. I think those are great characteristics. I think the one that I would observe in you that I think you kind of talk about, but I would call it out as I, I think you have, and, and I think other great innovators and entrepreneurs, they have the ability, especially if you're going to build a business, they have a sense for people. I remember those early days of Cree. Every time I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm getting close to just, it's enough. Your ability to read those situations and not just with me, with others, you had a sense of people of the ability to get them to a place they wouldn't naturally go themselves and keep them there just long enough before they broke and then reel us back in. Uh, you know, one thing to the, along that line that I like to say is if, if you try to give someone a raise the day they tell you they're leaving for money, then you got a problem. And so you need to be able to look at your, your staff, your people, and, because I, what I have said is um, your people are everything. You, you need to be, you know, just to give a real example is making sure people, and I go back to the money thing, 
But if their compensation isn't right, and that's including their ownership in the company, then they're going to seek, I mean, that's not the top thing. I think it's number four. If you look at measurements, how people like their jobs, but you want to create an environment that's, that's fun, that they want to go. They, they have that ability to be empowered and go do their thing. And then they're going to be rewarded. Yeah. The, uh, I think the, the ownership mentality where your employees are all owners at whatever level, it, it changes the dynamic. When everyone around that table has a stake in the company and you're talking to them, not just as employees, but as owners, you get a totally different dynamic. The level of, of responsibility and people's willingness to try things, take risks, but also balance that risk when necessary, it's totally different when they're owners versus they're showing up and collecting a paycheck. I want to switch gears a little bit. Neil, you've been very generous with your philanthropy over the years. I know you've done a lot of stuff for NC State. You've done things for UNC, especially the medical school, work with the V Foundation. And recently, you were an uh, incredibly important part of helping us get the Durham Community Food Pantry open. Do you think entrepreneurs, successful people in your role, is it an obligation? Is it something you just like to do? What's your perspective on that? When I've created wealth for myself or other people, I encourage them to give to whatever their choice is. Uh, you know, I have a very different opinion about corporate giving. I've always said, and I don't, I think at Cree, we didn't do a lot of corporate giving because I said, look, let the individuals give, you know, not, not kind of if they want to, but to the things they want to support because we're creating a lot of value here. But I really, if I'm going to just give to the community, now there is something to say about community relations, that sort of thing. But do I need to go back to the shareholders and get, you know, permission for that? Do I need to go to the board and get permission for that? Depending if it's going to be a pretty big line item. It really doesn't matter. It's not my capital to spend except on the things that we have told the shareholders that we're going to do. And so that's kind of where that that bright line got drawn. And people definitely have different feelings about that. But I guarantee you the community came out a lot better from the way that our executives gave of themselves and their money. You know, I think uh, that philosophy, obviously, uh, you know, you started it and, and I carried it along while I was CEO. It's, uh, I think if you look at what the Korea employees and executives gave back in terms of dollars and time and energy and things we helped get done, I don't have any doubt we, we gave a ton back. And I think by not making it Cree, I think we did something different. I think we, we made it more personal. And honestly, I think uh, when it's the company doing it, it almost lets the employees and off the hook's the wrong word, but at, you know our point was, look, we've created value. If it's important, you please do it, and we'd encourage you to do it, but it's your choice. And I think the net result is we actually end up doing more that way than if we would have let it sit back behind the scenes and said the company will just take care of it. Because I think when it's personal, it matters more. There's no doubt. I mean, I'm here to give. I mean, you know, I look at why was I put on the earth to innovate, to create wealth, to use that wealth to give. That's not a sappy sounding thing or kumbaya thing. It's just what it is. And that's um, something that, you know, why do I keep doing this? It's to be in that position again, to do that. And that's, that's myself and my family. Last thing I want to switch to is if someone was just starting out, let's say they either, they're getting out of college, they're relatively young. They think they got, an, they're a couple years into their career like you were. Hey, I think I want to go out and be an innovator or they could be working at one of these big companies and you know they've been there 10, 15 years and they feel kind of stuck. What's your advice to them? A couple of things. What do you want to do? 
you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to make money quickly? You know, do you think you're going to make something happen immediately? You know, what's your goal? Do you have a great idea? Is it driven by an idea or a desired end? There are many different things there. So there's, there's one is desired state. The other is I've got a great idea. If those can collide, that's, that's okay, but it's better to have a great idea and a way to do that. And, and better to have a great idea and want to create something. Um, second thing I'll say, it is never too late. I know a gentleman who worked for IBM till he was 50, 50 something. And then his whole division was getting shut down and he, he knew some people put some, put a deal together to buy that from IBM and then crank that up from where it was to about 10 X between the time he was 50 and 70. There's so many ways to do this and there's never a time that you can, there's not, there's no certain way to do it. Yeah. When you're younger, you got more energy. Maybe sometimes you do. Sometimes you want to do so many things, so many different things. I'm so focused on creating business and making my businesses more efficient that I uh, do that to a fault. I don't know what the, I don't know what the right answer is generally, but again, there is a big difference between an idea and an end state. Is there an innovation or an innovator that when you just think about, hey, if you want to look back, this is the one that stands out in my mind, the one that blows my mind the most. Is there something out there that really catches your mind? Steve Jobs taking Apple back from, I mean, from demise to a trillion dollars, really. You could argue that he put the base foundation there to take it back to a trillion. Tim Cook doing that. Um, that's amazing. So it was a 10 billion market cap, I think at one time back in the 2003, 2004 range. And 10 years later, it's $500 billion company. That's that, that is so hard to do to take a large company, already large company, $10 billion companies are big. And then take them all the way up is amazing. Make that company the most valuable company in the world. I mean, yeah, it feels to me like Steve Jobs was the innovator. Tim Cook has done a great job of taking that business model and making more money from it. But my sense is I don't see the types of innovations, whether it be the different business ideas, not, not only products, but the whole, you know, you know, Steve Jobs is not only that whole product portfolio, but the whole iTunes store and all those pieces that he built around. I mean, he built a services business around a product company. Um, Tim Cook's done a great job of creating shareholder wealth. But I'm not sure it's through innovation. I think it's through, frankly, running the company probably less innovatively. Like, I think they try less crazy ideas since he got there. At least that's my perspective as I look from the outside. Probably true. I think he, he is, um, but he's also in his own right been very successful. There. Oh. I mean, there's no, to keep that running, to keep that brand, is, to keep the brand, the people that use that those products, as I won't say psychotic as they are, but as, as you know, as brand oriented as they are, it's amazing. Well, I'll know he's really successful when we get you an iPhone. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, Neil. Last thing: any of the, any industry out there that uh, uh, you're not working on today that you think is ripe for innovation? There's so much to do in the electric transportation area, and I'll tell you one. I can't share one with you. I've been off, off. I've been hating this industry for years because it's been so slow, and that's transportation of people. We have not made any great gains in the way we transport ourselves in forever. The jet airplane was designed in the 40s. I mean, um, Germany came out in the late World War II with jet aircraft. All we've done is make those more efficient. And the only ones that were really fast, we took off the market, the SSTs. They were designed in the 50s, you know. So 
Now we're talking about hypersonic planes and there are more space plane programs out there, but we need to be getting to Tokyo in two hours. There's, there's no excuse for that. We've made, we've made it more efficient. We get, we get places 10 minutes earlier, maybe 20 minutes earlier, but we're going through airports still. That's insane. That's got to change. That's a huge area to change. And I remember the first time we had that conversation, Neil, and I think it's going, I bet you it's at least 20 years ago, you and I were sitting on a Northwest Airlines plane somewhere going, I think either on our way to Japan or back going, there's got to be a faster way to get here. And it's not any different than it was 20 years ago. You know, if a private company can build a rocket to go to the moon and you've got um, Branson that's starting to do his, his, you know, his intergalactic, whatever he's doing with his intergalactic company, the technology's there. It's just someone has to decide to do it. It's very interesting that maybe that's your next business idea. It's a big one. There's no doubt. It's probably going to be post. Um, I'll, I'll put that out for next, probably start that next three or four years, but it's definitely ripe for the taking because we've got the technology that goes really fast. We just don't know how to control it. Well, Neil, it's been a pleasure as uh as I've told many people, I've had very few mentors in my career. You were one of them and still are, and uh, it's been a riot. I still am so happy that day that you convinced me to come get that Cree MBA because uh, I, it opened my eyes to a world I just don't think I would have ever seen. And so thank you for that, and thanks for being on the podcast, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Okay, let's do it again. Thanks. All right, we'll do thank it. You. Bye. Thanks to Neil Hunter for joining me on this episode of Innovators on Tap. Our conversation was proof of the power of mindset when it comes to innovation. Neil talked about not being afraid of risk, of pursuing challenges that are boundless, and of wanting to create the future, not be a victim to it. All of these beliefs are fundamental to finding your own innovator spirit. I hope Neil's story stands as inspiration that with the right mindset, you too can challenge the status quo and pursue the impossible. I want to also let you know that you'll hear from Neil again when I sit down with all the Cree founders to hear what it was really like to start a company together. If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you know someone who might be interested, please share the podcast. Our goal is to enable an entire new generation of innovators and leaders and exposing more people to the conversations happening on this podcast will help us do just that. We are always open to critical feedback. My belief as an innovator is that anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Let's go change the world. <laughs>